Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Today we're um, gonna be teaching out of the book of Revelation. Uh, and so, you know, we had a series we were doing called Life is Beautiful and we had so many things happen that we're, we put it on pause and we're, we've, this is a special sermon today um, for a s- special reason. But the name of the sermon is Back to the Future. And uh, m- many of you probably remember the movie Back to the Future, right? See, see, yeah, awesome movie. See, here's the thing though. When you have a movie that's so dear to you, an old movie, and then you go back and watch it later. Like I watched Back to the Future when I was in high school and it was such an awesome movie and such a great moment and it has all these warm memories in my heart. And then I was telling my kids about how awesome this movie is. It's amazing. You got to watch this. It's so funny. It's so cool. And then you go back and watch Back to the Future in the 21st century. That's a weird movie. I'm just letting you know. Marty McFly is 17 years old. He's a lazy high school student. And somehow his best friend is a deranged nuclear physicist senior citizen. No one ever asked how these guys become friends. I want you to think about that. So, you know, can you imagine as they're pitching the movie to producers, they're like, we got this idea, Martin McFly, he's this super lazy uh, teenager, and his best friend is a deranged nuclear physicist, and they come together and they make a time machine, and they go back, and he dates his mom, and the producers are like, I'm in. Why don't you do this, too? Why don't you trick everyone that a white guy wrote the song Johnny Be Good, too? Let's just steal that from black people as well. I mean, it's a crazy movie. But, but the reason I, I titled the sermon Back to the Future is this. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation in about AD 90. And real quick, theological pet peeve. I'm going to teach you something today. I even hear pastors say it wrong. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So now you can stand on your own theological high horse and do that to people, but whatever. Now, he wrote it in AD 90, and I want to let some of you in. Some of you are beginners in the Bible, and it's awesome. I love that you're beginning, you're looking into it. But I know it confused me for a couple years as I was a new Christian. Because in the New Testament, there's actually two dudes named John. You need to know that. And they don't, a lot of times, don't distinguish them. There's John the Baptist, right? And that was Jesus' cousin. And he was actually uh, executed by King Herod. He was beheaded by King Herod during Jesus' life. And then there was another John. It was John, the disciple who Jesus loved. He was like one of Jesus' favorite disciples. He was was an apostle. And um, all the books in the New Testament that are titled John were written by that guy. And John is the only disciple who was not martyred for his faith. He was actually um, imprisoned on an island in Patmos because he was such a um, powerful force in the world at the time and such a voice for Christ. The Roman Roman government uh, captured him, imprisoned him, put him in exile on an island called Patmos. And he lived the rest of his days there in seclusion, away from everyone. But while he was there, he had this vision And God kind of transported him into the future, not just into the future, but into the presence of God, into the throne room of heaven. And that's what we're going to be reading right now. He's brought into the throne room of heaven, and he's about to see a very special worship service go down. 
So if you're able to, I would love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. We're going to be reading from Revelation 7. My friend Ron is reading today, and two weeks in a row we have great irony. There's no one better to read the book of Revelation than the guy with the voice that is probably the most like God's. So Ron, I I just set you up for failure, I know, man, but bring it. (laughs) After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiping God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So John is whisked away into the throne room of heaven. And what Revelation 7 tells us is that he looks out, and you have to imagine, John is a guy, he lives in the first century, and he's brought into a completely different world, a different dimension. I mean, it just, he's trying to explain what he sees with his own eyes. That's why if you read the book of Revelation, there's things that he's trying to describe in a first century term that we we don't know really what it looks like. There's dragons coming out of the ocean with seven heads and seven horns and women on horses and, and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And he looks out and there's like a, a sea, but it's all glass. And he's trying to explain what he sees, but he doesn't always have the words to explain what he sees. It would kind of be like if I took a, um, a tribal person from Papua New Guinea, from a tribe in Papua New Guinea, an unreached tribe. And um, I don't know if you know this, but there are tribes on this planet um, especially on that island, Papua New Guinea, that still live in the Stone Age. They have Stone Age technology. They, um, they, they're hunter-gatherers. And imagine if I took one of them, grabbed them in their loincloth, they got their spear of their loincloth, I put them on a plane, I fly them to Fresno, and, and they've spent their whole life hunting in the jungle, and if they, if they, if they killed a, a hog, it could feed the whole tribe for two weeks. You know, and they'd just eat a little bit, but it, they could stretch it out for two weeks. And I fly them to Fresno, and I take them to Costco. And then I say, tell, go back and tell your friends what you saw. How are they going to explain that? They're going to have to explain it in their terms, right? There were hunters everywhere. They had these baskets for the animals, but the animals were, you know, they would just explain they, It's how they would see the world. This is how John writes in Revelation. And here's what I want you to know. In in Revelation 7, he says, he looks up and he sees what what the NIV says is a great multitude. Actually, that's a Greek word. and, And really what it's implying is a number of people that could not be counted. It's an uncountable number of people is what he sees. And they're everywhere. They go forever. And he he looks and he sees this group. They're all dressed in white. And they're all worshiping. God is there. The angels are worshiping. The 24 elders. I mean, it is getting down in that worship service right there. And, And what we learn later in this passage is that those people, they were special people. They were a special group that was worshiping. And they were people that the Bible says had, had made it through the great tribulation. And I don't have 
another three hours to explain to you all of that. But listen, they had been martyred for their faith to one degree or another. And they, there they are worshiping God. And, and the Bible says something that's so unique, that, that is unique to that period of time and ultimately unique to, to our world. It says, as they worshiped in that crowd were people from every tribe, every tongue, every walk of life. See, and this is what the gospel teaches us, is that all of us, no matter where you come from, no matter what your 401k says, no matter, no matter what your W-2 says, no matter um, where you've come from, all of us stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. There's no one greater than, than another. And you could be here today, and you grew up in the back row of a Baptist church, and you went to church three days a week, four days a week, your whole life. You went through a WANA program. You memorized scripture. You've been a good person. You didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with people that do. You didn't do anything like that. You've, you've lived an outstanding Christian life your whole life. And then the dude who's the coke addict who runs our marriage ministry, who's been married three times, because three times a charm, stand on the exact same ground when it comes to the gospel. See, because the truth of the matter is we all need grace. And it doesn't matter what your language is. It doesn't matter what your citizenship is. It doesn't matter if you're from Albania or Alabama. It doesn't matter if you're from Michigan or Mexico. When it comes to the gospel, we all stand on level ground. See, um, one, of the, one of the cool things that, that happens, you know, the scripture says this, that man makes the plans, but the Lord determines the steps. It says that in Proverbs. And, um, you know, back in January, we launched a three-year strategic initiative called uh, Focus 2020. And uh, we set out and we said, Lord, we, you know, the Lord gave us a number of 2,500 first-time decisions for Christ and 1,000 baptisms. We were going to plant churches all over the world. We were going to um, just reach our community in, in great ways. And, and so far, God has been, been awesome in doing it. And you guys have been faithful in your giving. You, you pledged to give toward it. You pledged to learn how to share the gospel. Some of you are sharing the gospel now with your friends and your family. And it's, it's very cool. And uh, we set out, and we had all these plans. And this is how God works when you make plans. He goes, oh, those are cute, Sean. Those are cute. But look what I've got. See, and it even says in the book of Revelation, um, Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia, he said, here I set before you an open door. And he says, it's an open door. You can walk into it, or you can just stay back and do your thing. It's your choice. You can step into my, my plans, or you can... Stand back and, and go with your silly little plans. So about a month ago, we began meeting and praying, and um, God dramatically shifted us in, in a cool direction. Where, um, we, well, I'll just—you might have saw it already. Um, we we started a, a service in Spanish today in the venue over there. See, yo no habla español. Porque yo hablo poquito, tu frente parasa como pelota de boliche, you know, um, but here's the deal. Here's what I, what I just said then was that your forehead looks like a bowling ball. But anyways, listen, here's the deal. Um, Pastor Moises Garcia is a guy I've known since, um, for, for quite some time. And um, someone put us together and said, you guys need to talk. You have the same vision for planning um, churches. He just wants to do Hispanic ones. And you... Um, you know, 
he has a vision for to to see a a kind of suburban megachurch become multicultural. And we met together and we began to pray and we realized this is an open door. And I have all kinds of stories I could tell you where God just kept keeps opening doors. Um, a great example is I was having lunch with a guy. Um, actually, I was I was in a meeting and this guy named Rick that I listened to, I believe he hears from the Lord. He texted me and he said, "Cancel your plans. I have to show you something." So I'm cancel my plans. I go to lunch with him. He drives me to this place, this downtown Fresno. And it's this little abandoned church building. And I'm like, what is this? He goes, I don't know. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, my friend, my friend is, has been trying to restore this church. He has a dream to see a, a, another church in this neighborhood. And, and I want you to meet him. And I, he goes, I, when I walked in the room, I almost got knocked over. I just felt the Holy Spirit. And the only person I knew to talk to was you, so, so I don't know what this is. And I was like, okay. So I walk in, and I'm talking to this dude. And he's talking to me like he knows me. And don't you hate that? Because the whole time I'm hearing, in my head, I'm like, who is this? Who is this? I know his name. I know his name. So finally, I go, so, well, and he's like, we want to start a church here, but we don't know how. We don't know anyone. We're, you know, we're, I'm, it's just me and a couple people, and, you know, and, and, you know, we're looking for help. And I was like, oh, cool. Maybe this is an open door. And I said, so who, who owns this building? And he goes, Pastor Sean, it's Freddie. I'm from El Encino Baptist Church, your sister church. <laughs> oh, I knew that. Hey, brother. <laughs> so all kinds of doors have been opened. The, the, the convention called us and said, hey, we have another property in a high, highly Hispanic neighborhood in Porterville. If you guys could find a church planner. And God just kept opening these doors. So as a church, um, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know any of that. But we believe God, and we're going to step in the open door. Amen? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a Spanish congregation here now, and we, we're going to welcome them with warm arms. And here's what I believe, that God chose our church for this because you guys, um, God has put it in the culture of us to have open acceptance. That it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter any of that. What matters is that we all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross. And we're all going to be worshiping at the, in the same place anyways. And I don't even know what language it's going to be. It probably will be Spanish. It's way prettier than English. So, here's what I want you to understand. In the scriptures, though, see, the world that Jesus lived in was incredibly divided racially. I don't know if you know that. When you went to the temple, even religion was divided racially. Um, when you went to the temple to worship God, you would go and there was a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And it was, it was where the presence of God was. And the only people allowed close to the presence of God were Jewish men. Only Jewish men. Jewish women had to stand uh, in, in an outer court. And then if you were a Gentile, if you were a Gentile, do we have any Gentiles in the house today? Yeah, that means you're not Jewish, okay? So most of you, all right? If you were Gentile, you were, not, you were allowed further back. It's like you had to hang out in the parking lot of the temple. And you could not come in. And um, as a matter of fact, archaeologists found in the late 1800s, they found a plaque in the ruins of the second temple, Herod's temple, the temple Jesus would have worshipped in. There was a plaque. And we, do, do we have that plaque? Can we put it up there? There it is. You can't read it because it's in Koine Greek and it's all old and, and, and beat up. But I want to read you what this plaque said. And it stood 
right at the gates of where, where, where the gate of the, the Gentiles would be. And it says, no foreigner is to enter within the balustrade around the temple enclosure. Whoever is caught will be responsible to himself for his death, which will ultimately ensue. So I want you to think about that. You're a Gentile, and you show up to Clovis Hills on a Sunday morning, and there's a sign that says, hey, if you're not Jewish, you can't come in here to worship. You just stay in your car and sing, okay? And you can listen to the podcast from last week, but you can't be here. This is what's going on. And that was never in the Bible. That was never the intention of God. As a matter of fact, the intention of God was that God's people, Israel, were supposed to be a banner to the nations. It was their job to show the world who God was and what he was like and to tell the world of who God was. But what happens is, and religion does this, and Christians do the same thing, we go, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's my faith. It's my personal faith. It's about me. This is my church. This is my seat. You might notice this service is getting more and more crowded, and people keep sitting in your seat, huh? So get over it. But here's the deal. We, we, we do that. We, and, and what human beings naturally do, because we're all sinners, is we love to gather to our own kind. It's called, sociologists call it the homogeneous unit principle. And, and, and there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but what we begin to do is we begin to exclude as well. That's why for 25 years, this church has been a church that says, we don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've done. We care about the future that God has for you. We don't care about what color you are. We don't care about where, where you shop. Whether you shop at the 99 cent store or you shop at a, department store. It doesn't matter. We care about your future for God. And in the book of Galatians, Paul writes this in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. It's a radical thought. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ having clothed yourself in Christ. So what that means is all of the good, righteous things that Jesus did, you're clothed with that now. You couldn't be perfect. As a matter of fact, you and I, we all sin. We keep sinning. But Jesus lived a perfect life. And and when you were baptized into Christ, when you became a believer of Jesus, you were clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So it's kind of like a fancy restaurant. You go to a fancy restaurant where you have to wear a suit and a tie and you show up like this, they don't let you in, right? But then Jesus says, hold on, wear my coat. You're in. This is what's going on. And then it says this, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's what I want you to understand. In America, we value equality like to the nth degree. As a matter of fact, like to a crazy degree in some ways. And we think that we are the ones that thought of that. But here's what I want you to know. Um, Historian Robert Alter, he'll tell you, um, and, and other historians will tell you, that the Apostle Paul was the first human being in human history to write about people being on an equal level. It was never recorded before that thought in human history. 
And it came right back to the word of God, that God, since the beginning of time, has put people on an equal level, and humans and religion, we do a good job of pushing people down and getting people off an equal level. But the gospel keeps putting it right back in place. It undermines all of that. I have a friend, one of my best friends I grew up with, and some of you might have heard this story before, but it, 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 it just fits this passage so well. He... um. We grew up going to youth group together and just were close friends. And um, he was a, you know, a devout Christian, went to church every week, was involved in his church, served in his church, gave, did all the, you know, was in growth groups, did all that stuff. Um, but he, um, he was Dutch, and um, he was very proud to be Dutch. As a matter of fact, he always wore a shirt that said, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, right? And um, he, through his upbringing, though, um, and this is a guy who saved, who knew Jesus, who had a good heart for God. But through his upbringing, he, had be, he was pretty stinking racist. Um, his family had worked in construction for years. And um, they had a really a deep-seated uh, racial hatred for Mexican people. As a matter of fact, specifically um, illegal aliens. And uh, he had a really successful construction business. He lost it in the recession in 2008. And um, he proceeded to blame it on illegal aliens, um, which was crazy, but that's what he did. And this is a guy that went to church and, like, loved the Lord and read the Bible, but he still had this deep-seated sin in him. And we had pointed out, and he'd be like, yeah, so. You don't have my life. You don't know. You know, don't judge me, right? It's funny how, you know, when we're sinning, we, that's what we always say. If you're saying don't judge me to someone, it's probably because you're sinning. But anyways... <laughs> been there, I know. So, he, um, he dated these girls all the time, and every girl he dated was crazy, is what I want you to understand. Not just like a little kooky, crazy. One girl, I'm convinced she was possessed by a demon. I'm not joking. Um, another girl tried to kill him. She tried to push him out of a car at 55 miles an hour on the freeway. Um, like, he just dated nutty girls, and he was super attracted to them. And the minute a girl came by that was like, ah, he was like, I love you. And, um, and he knew it. So one day he came to me, he's like, my relationships are shipwrecking my life. And I got to stop. I'm going to stop dating. Um, and I recommended him to a marriage and family therapist. I said, yeah, you got to figure out what's going on with that, why you're attracted to that. And he's like, yeah. So he started meeting with a, a therapist. And um, really just digging into God's word and digging into ministry and still racist. And um, one day he, he calls me about a year later. He'd kind of been, you know, not dating women for a year. And he goes, so, dude, you need to pray for me. I was like, why? What's up, man? He's like, uh, I went on this, like, Christian dating site. And uh, I'm going on a date tonight. I was like, well, that's cool, man. Congratulations. He goes, yeah, but here's the deal. She's kind of churchy. And I'm like, dude, that's good. He's like, yeah, I know, but here, I'm, I'm afraid I'm just going to hate her or I'm going to corrupt her. And I was like, I will pray for you, man. <laughs> Calls me the next day. I'm like, dude, how was your date? He's like, it was awesome. She was cool. I was like, what's her name? Nadia. Oh, she's Russian? He's like, no, dude, she was Mexican. <laughs> really? In the next six months, he falls in love with this girl, madly in love, and she's not crazy. 
She's legit, and she loves the Lord, and she's following God, and she's whipping him into shape, and he's now he's combing his hair, taking a tic-tac, and he's all trying to put himself together. And it was so awesome to see that. And about six, you know, six months later, they're really serious. They're starting to talk about marriage. They're talking about meeting her family. And finally, she, you know, she, um, she takes him to dinner and says, I've got something to confess to you. And, um, he, you know, he called me the next morning, and he's like, so Nadia took me out to dinner because we we're going to meet her family next week, and she said she had something to confess to me, and I was super nervous, and then she told me, and I go, what is it, dude? And he goes, she's an illegal alien. She's not a citizen. <laughs> Tell me more, Rick. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, dude, I'm in love with this girl. Here's what I want you to know. When you surrender your life to God, he will mess with you. <laughs> because he's not going to leave you in your sin if you follow him. He will eventually goad you and push at you and nudge you and urge you till you finally get to where he, the person that he's creating you to be. And here, here's, long story short, um, a, a few months later, he's at his, he's met the family and he texts me a picture on Christmas Eve and he's with her family. None of them speak English. This is awesome. And he speaks no Spanish, and he texts a picture of him playing Pictionary with his new Mexican family that is not citizens. And here's what I want you to know. Um, seven years later, they're married. They have a kid. They actually, they attend a, a little Baptist church in Escondido, and they have a ministry to Hispanic people in the apartments right next door to their church. This is what the gospel does to you. So I want you to understand God is in the business of changing lives. And, and, and you have to know this about yourself. See, if you come to Clovis Hills, you don't have to be perfect because none of us are and none of us are pretending to be perfect. I, I want you to understand that. Um, as a matter of fact, if you pretend to be perfect, most people here will sniff you out like, hey, what's wrong with you? You're acting too perfect. You look like your life's on Pinterest. Do you have dead bodies under your house? What's going on? And here's the thing. I thought when I accepted Jesus, I thought like, you know, all of a sudden I'd stop sinning. I thought I'd pray the prayer and receive Jesus into my heart and ask for forgiveness. I'd open my eyes and like angels would come down and be like, ooh, and I'd be like, hello, my friends. And, you know, I'd stop sinning. But that's not the case. I kept sinning. But here's the thing. God, once you become his, he won't leave you in your sin. And I want you to know, I am not who I was 10 years ago. I'm a different person because God has been changing me and working me and working my sin. I still st struggle with anger, hatred, jealousy, discord, lust, greed, the, go down the line, gossip, all those things. I struggle with all of those to this day, but I'm not who I was 10 years ago. I'm so indifferent today. But I also know this, I am far from the person I'm supposed to be. And the promise of, of God is this, that he's going to make me that person one day. And I'm in a process. So the truth of the matter is, if you follow Jesus, you're all in recovery. You're all in recovery. So it's not a dirty word. I want you to understand that. So, for some of you this morning, you've never 
received Jesus before. You've come, you've come to church before. You've heard about Jesus. You've sang about Jesus. You, you may even read about him or, you know, and he's, he's been someone that's cool. But you've never received him before. Here's what I want you to know. The Bible says in, in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he's given the right to become children of God. It says in Revelation 3.20, behold, Jesus says this, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He stands at the door of your heart and he says, I want to come in. I want to forgive you of your sin. I want to put on my righteousness on you. All the good things I did, all the righteousness I ever did, you will get credit for in the eyes of God and you'll have eternal life. All you have to do is receive me. Ask me into your heart. Guys, don't put it off. Today's the day. We have a tradition here at Clovis Hills that whenever someone comes to receive Christ, and every week people come to receive Christ here at Clovis Hills. It's such a cool thing. Whenever someone comes to receive Christ, we give them um, two things. We give them a little light bulb. If you look on the walls over there, it says, Jesus is life. And each light bulb represents a new life in Christ. And every time someone gives their life to Christ, we we give them a a little light bulb, and then they they go screwed in there, and it marks their new life the new step they're taking to follow Jesus. You know, and there's people here today, you've put a bulb in before. And you walk in, you're like, that's me, top of the J, corner, boom. For some of you, today's the day you receive Christ. Don't put it off anymore. Jesus said, he stands at the door and knocks, but he also said, I I present to you an open door, a life of faith that you could step into. And God has promised that he who began a good work in you, and he can't start it until you receive him, but he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. And it's probably a process that's going to happen your whole life. But you heard about two of them that have been radically changed. My life's been radically changed, and today's the day for you. Let's bow our heads and pray.